For the Lord God is good, and His mercy endures forever. Aren't you glad about that? Not only His saving mercy, but His healing mercy, His delivering mercy. Hallelujah. Endures forever. Well, we're so glad that you came tonight, and uh, it's such an honor to be here with you. Uh, I really appreciate your pastors uh, inviting us to come back and be a part of this faith conference. Uh, it's awesome. And uh, I want to, I didn't, I failed to recognize the worship team last night. Uh, I just want to uh, show our appreciation to them. They've done a marvelous, marvelous job over the past several services. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it so much. Amen. And everyone who has served, we got guys on the camera and those back in the audio booth, audio video, audio, audio visual booth back there. So we appreciate all of you and those who are working with the children, uh, the little ones, the wee ones, and uh, all other sizes. We appreciate that so much. So your pastors have been gracious host to us. I tell you what, I feel like a full gospel preacher with emphasis on full. No, we appreciate, they're, they're such wonderful people and hosts, and we appreciate them so much, and we appreciate you coming uh, last night and tonight. I know this is a midweek service, but uh, thank you for coming and being a part uh, of this conference, and we want to thank those who are viewing. Uh, I know I have, uh, we have some family tonight that's possibly my wife's family that are viewing, so we want to say hello to them. Uh, and welcome them to the service. So let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that we can come together, lift our voices unto you in worship and in praise. What a privilege it is, Father, to lift our voices unto you. We thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice that has brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, the blood of Jesus that has washed us clean. Father, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. We are your children, and we thank you, Father, for all that you have done, what you are doing, and what you will continue to do, Father. And Father, tonight we, uh, we recognize and reverence the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We know you are here because you live in us. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for leading us into the Word of God tonight. Help us to open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to whatever the Holy Spirit is saying through the Word of God. And Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory for everything that is revealed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You know, we're talking about the subject of faith. And if you have your Bibles, turn back to 1 John chapter 5. We'll look at verse 4. And uh, when we normally talk about the subject of faith, we emphasize using our faith to receive something. You know, uh, I have two grandsons, one ten, one five, and uh, uh, I don't know if he's listening or not, but every time I mention him, he thinks he's famous. So uh, Finley is my number one grandson, and two years ago, I think it was or so, you know, Christmas time, and so he calls me Papa. He said, you know, Papa, I have, uh, you know, a list here. And I said, I know. And uh, so what's that mean? Well, that means, you know, what are you going to do about that list? I said, why don't we just believe God for some of these things? You know, just believe God. He said, uh, no reason to do that. I saw it at Walmart. 
trying to teach faith. And here you have Walmart. So anyway, usually we emphasize the subject of faith to believe to receive something. Isn't that right? And thank God, what a wonderful principle. What a wonderful principle to believe, to receive everything that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us through His death, burial, and resurrection. So many wonderful things in Christ, in whom, what we have, in the Word of God as a result of Christ's redemptive work. But I want to emphasize another aspect of faith, and that is uh, developing a faith life that helps us stand and overcome the challenges of life. Faith that builds a solid foundation against the storms of life. So in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, for whatsoever, I like to say whosoever, is born of God, overcometh the world. Hallelujah. I got good news for you tonight. You're an overcomer. Amen. You are an overcomer. You may have to tell yourself that a few times. Look in the mirror. You are an overcomer. Because the overcomer lives on the inside of you. Greater, the Bible says, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you. Aren't you glad? You have someone on the inside who's a helper, who's a strengthener, who will lead you and guide you in this life, who will show you the plan and the purpose of God, reveal what God has for you. And he lives on the inside. So whosoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory. That overcomes the world, or this is how we overcome even our faith. Our faith. Now notice another version says, the Good News Bible said, Because every child of God is able to defeat the world, and we win the victory over the world by means of our faith. Now, people have the impression many times that if you understand faith, you will never have any problems in life. Or if you do experience problems or challenges, there must be something wrong with your faith. Well, if you live long enough, you will understand that in this life, there is uh, an adversary who is anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-church. His name is Satan. He is called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he's called the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He has many different names, deceiver, accuser of the brethren. And we understand that he is against the plan of God. He is against what God is attempting to do in this world. But Jesus said 2,000 years ago, he said, Peter, I'm going to build my church. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad Jesus is building the church? Thank God it wasn't left up to me. The church would be much smaller today if it was left up to me. Thank God it wasn't left up to you. Isn't that right? He said, I'll build my church and we'll do our best to keep Satan out. No, he didn't say that, did he? He said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell, that's the power of hell, will not be able to keep the church out. That means there there is no power on this earth that can keep the church from making progress and inroads into every nation. And the church is, and the church has. Hallelujah. And so we are a part of a moving, dynamic, 
powerful force called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, I'm not going to take time to turn, but uh, in the last part of that chapter, the writer says there's coming a time when everything will be shaken that can be shaken. Well, I think we're probably in that time. Everything will be shaken that will be shaken. But then he goes on to say, we are a part of an unshakable kingdom. So everything might be shaking, but we're in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So it's good to be a part of this family, the family of God. And we are here to try to get as many other people outside this family into our family. That's the whole purpose. The number one purpose and goal of the church is to expand the kingdom of God and to reap the harvest of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's number one in the heart of God. As a matter of fact, everything in the New Testament, everything, including giving and money and everything else, is all focused on promoting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. All of our gifts, abilities, resources is focused on the harvest. That's God's heart. And that should be our heart. Amen. We're joined unto the Lord. He that is joined unto the Lord, 1 Corinthians 6, 17, is one spirit. So we're connected to the head. We're connected to the heart of our Heavenly Father. And that should be our heart to reach the lost. Amen. I was uh, just a couple of weeks ago in, in uh, Hilton Head, uh, South Carolina. We were there doing uh, uh, some conferences, uh, actually teaching uh, via Zoom to some uh groups in India. And these groups in India are in a very persecuted state. As a matter of fact, many have already died uh, for the sake of the gospel. And I personally know some who've given their life uh, in a tragic way for the sake of the gospel. There are still people today who are being persecuted and dying for the sake of the gospel. And so we were there and, and there was another a friend of mine, a pastor uh, with me, Pastor Tom uh, Harrington and he pastors uh, in Erie, uh, Colorado, and so we were in. Uh, we we took a break. We went out to a, what do you call it? One of those smoothie places. Um, anyway, you know they make all these uh, mixed drinks out of fruit. So we're in there, and there's only one young lady behind the counter, and and she had just this remarkable smile. She was wearing a, a chain around her neck with a cross. So on the way out, you know. I'm thinking about other things. Tom, you know, he's just, a, just an evangelist constantly. So he said, hey, can I ask you a question? Do you know Jesus? And she said, well, yes, I love Jesus. She said, you know, I have all kinds of things in my home. My, my parents, you know, they're Catholic. They love Jesus. Well, you know, he said, that's wonderful. But if you were to die tonight, would you know, would you be guaranteed to know that you would go to heaven? She goes, I don't think so. Well, he said, I can help you with that. And in 30 seconds, he laid out a simple plan, and we prayed with her right there in between customers. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry, I'm crying. Something happened to me. Right there in that shop, it took about two minutes. People are hungry. People are open to receive the gospel. It doesn't take long. All you have to do is let your light shine. All you have to do is ask a simple question. Are you out there? Amen. We can all do that. Hallelujah. That's uh, another soul for eternity. 
And we're going to see her in heaven. We're going to see her in heaven. And I believe she'll make an impact on her mother and her father. She just moved from another state into the into, uh, Hilton Head area. And so, praise God, she came just to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. So, that's our purpose. That's our goal. Now, we're talking about faith. And, of course, uh, you know, our faith in God must be grounded in His Word and in His power. You know, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says, So then faith comes by hearing, what? Hearing the Word of God. It is the Word of God that produces faith. When the Word comes, the knowledge of God comes, and that will, if you receive it, automatically produce in you a trust, a confidence, and an insurance in who God is and what God wants to do for you. Faith comes, the God kind, from hearing the Word of God. So it's essential for us, if we want to develop faith and have strong faith, we must be students of the Word of God. Amen. We must be students of the Word of God. You know, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Matthew 4, Luke 4, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So what Jesus is saying, what bread is to the natural man, God's Word is to your spirit. Amen. You know, we say jokingly sometimes, seven days without God's Word makes one week. That's true naturally and spiritually. You know, sometimes, like one man said, we feed our bodies three hot meals a day, usually, and our spirits one cold snack a week. And we expect to be great in faith. Well, it doesn't work that way, does it? No. Say this with me. I'm a spirit being. I have a soul. And I live inside of a physical body. See, the real you is not this body that you see. I've never seen the real you. You've never seen the real me. The real you lives inside this house and looks out through these windows we call eyes. The real you is created in the image and the likeness of God. And Jesus said God is a spirit. He is a spirit being. He's real. He exists. He has shape. He has form in the spiritual world. The spiritual world was here before this world. As a matter of fact, the spiritual world, God's world, created this world. So the real you is a spirit being that is created for eternity. And so this spirit being needs to grow and mature and develop in the things of God. You know, when you look at a one or two day old baby, you don't think to yourself, well, that, you know, that baby's about 10% human. He's not full grown or developed. You wouldn't think that. You would automatically know that baby is 100% human, may not be fully developed physically or mentally or emotionally, but that child, that baby is 100% human. The moment you're born again, you're 100% a child of God. Now you have to grow and develop. Peter said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. So God's Word helps our spirit grow and develop, and a part of our spiritual nature is the faith of God. 
When you were born again, you received a measure of the God kind of faith. You say, well, I just don't have any faith. I can't believe for anything. No, you can. You're a believer. And you have the God kind of faith. You already have the God kind of faith. All you need to do is feed that faith and exercise that faith, and it will grow and become stronger. Are you listening to me? All right. Now, so our faith is in God's Word and in God's power. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 quickly. God's power. God's power is simply a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We understand that the Word of God contains the life of God and the power of God. And that power is there because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Enabling that Word to work effectively on the inside of you. You know, when Paul was in the city of Thessaloniki in nor northern Greece, he actually landed in Albania, on the coast of Albania, present-day Albania, walked to Philippi, and then walked to Thessaloniki. And he was in that city for about two weeks, maybe three. And due to persecution, he had to leave that city after founding a small church in that city, and he walked on to the city we call Berea. Well, he was only in that city for a couple of weeks. And he wrote a letter. The first letter he wrote, many uh, Bible scholars believe that that letter was the first letter Paul wrote to the church at Thessaloniki. And he said, your faith, he said, is being broadcast all around. Everyone knows about you guys. Now think about that. He was only there two weeks, maybe three. If you planted a church today and you were only there two or three weeks and left, it'd be a miracle that it would survive. But this church not only survived, it thrived. And if you go on reading in that first chapter, you'll understand why. Paul said, when I spoke the word of God to you, you did not receive it as the word of a man. But as the Word of God that effectually worked in you. So Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, notice here, and here's the key to Paul's ministry. This is why it was so effective. This is why the churches that he planted remained strong for years and years and years. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says this in verse 1, Brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. Verse 4, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. You know, we can do that. But my speech and my preaching was in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. Now why? So that your faith should not be established on the wisdom of men, but in what? The power of God. The power of God. Everyone say the power of God. Well, the power of God is the Holy Spirit energizing the Word of God so that when you receive it in your spirit, it changes you. It becomes a part of your spiritual nature. And when that happens, my brother and sister, everything else changes. Everything else changes.
Hallelujah. So Paul said, my preaching, my speech was not just with human words of man's wisdom. Man's wisdom is entertaining, but God's word is transformational. You can be entertained and your soul feels wonderful. It's pleasing to the ears. But after about 30 minutes, you forget about it and think about food. I know human nature. Right? You think about something else. But when the Word of God is spoken by the power of the Holy Spirit and it penetrates into your spirit, it will stay with you. It will stay with you. And that is what changes people. So we want the Word of God to be established in us. That Word effectually works in us constantly. It is working. It is working to produce whatever we need in our lives. You know, in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 20, 22, uh, the writer said, My son, attend to my words. That means put my words first. You know, if you're believing for healing, you probably don't need to focus on who the Antichrist is. That's not going to heal you, right? Attend to my words, incline my, thine ear, your ear, unto my sayings. Sayings are words. Do not let those words depart from before your eyes, but keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and what? Health or medicine to all their flesh. God's Word is medicine. Well, I don't know any medicine that if you need a prescription, that usually it says, you know, no medicine I ever seen, take it one time and that'll be it. Well, usually it's what? Take once, twice, three times a day? for four, five, six days, or whatever. Isn't that right? God's Word is medicine. You have to keep taking it. You have to keep reading, listening, fastening your eyes on search the Scriptures and find the Scriptures. Determine, determine to find or search out the Word of God for you. Amen. That Word produces life. It produces life in your spirit continually continually and that life will give you not only spiritual strength but natural strength you know i like what c.s newsom said in her book the life of faith she said the same faith that receives healing is the same faith that you can use to receive strength oh i like that why not well romans chapter 8 said that same spirit that raised jesus from the dead will quicken your mortal body Hallelujah. It'll make alive your mortal body. Hallelujah. How many of you need a little life in your mortal body? Amen. All of us do. There was a time, you know, my mind still thinks I'm 25. How many uh, more mature guys out there can agree with me? Your mind still thinks, you know, 25, somewhere in the 20s or whatever, right? But then this body, for some reason, rebels. When this mind tries to do what a 25-year-old did. For some reason, I can't figure that out. But anyway, we'll be in heaven one day with a new body. Aren't you glad? You now, we must ask ourselves this question. Is our faith, and faith is simply confidence, trust, being fully persuaded. That's all it is. And you understand you cannot trust someone or be confident in someone without knowledge. Now, I have trust and confidence in your pastor because I know both of them. I've known them for years. 
And I have faith and confidence and trust in them. But if you don't know someone, you cannot say, I don't, you know, I, I, I can't put my faith or trust totally because I don't totally know that person. The same is true with God. If you want to develop a robust faith, then have an amazing fellowship with your Heavenly Father. Fellowship with Him through the Word, through prayer, through worship and praise. That will increase your trust, your confidence. And of course, that comes through the knowledge of God's Word. Smith Wigglesworth said, I cannot understand God with my mind because God's not a mind. I cannot understand God with my feelings because God is not emotion. I cannot understand God with my body because God's not a physical body. I can only understand God through His Word. He is everything the Word of God says He is. Hallelujah. He is everything the Word of God says He is. Aren't you glad He's a good God? Aren't you glad that He came to give you life and to give it more abundantly? Every good, every perfect gift comes down from our Heavenly Father. You know what changed Oral Roberts' ministry years ago? I, I'm sorry, Billy Graham's ministry years ago was a revelation on the goodness of God. I read uh, an article and he mentioned that, you know, he had to establish the fact that he saw God as a good God. And that changes your understanding of many things. If you're confused about bad things, evil things coming either from God or the devil, you're not going to have a robust faith. We have to settle that right now. Everything good comes from God. Everything that's beneficial to you spiritually and mentally and physically comes from God. He is the giver of good gifts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You have to settle that once and for all. No, it is the enemy, Satan the devil, who is the destroyer. So our faith must be established upon God's Word, what is written and what is spoken to your spirit, not on this world system. We live in this world system, but we are not to allow this world system to govern what we believe or think. And if we're not careful, we can limit God in our lives. We can unconsciously think that the only way God can bless us and protect us is through this world system. We have to be careful. Yes, God can use people. Yes, God can use nations. Yes, God can use leaders. Yes, God can use financial systems. But that is not the most dependable method. The most secure and dependable method is faith in kingdom principles. Now, we thank God for this nation. And you understand, uh, this nation, I believe, was raised up by, by God for a purpose, and that is to publish, to, to spread the gospel around the world. That's the primary purpose. Freedom of religion, to spread the gospel around the world. And my wife and I have, have been preaching in, we preached in over 30 nations of the world. We've lived in five nations, not visited, lived. There's a difference. Anyone can stay for 30 days. It's after the 30. Right? It's romantic for 30. And then it gets real after that. And so we've lived in five nations. We've lived in dictatorships, under dictatorships. We lived in a monarchy. 
we've lived in uh, a socialist country, and we lived under communism. Lived under communism for six years. So I'm very, very familiar with communism and socialism. And I'm not speaking to you from an intellectual perspective or a textbook. I can speak to you from experience. And I dare say that the majority of people don't understand how demonic and destructive that particular form of governance can be to people. It's terrible, just to be honest with you. So I'm not saying that one particular, you know, human government is, is better uh, than some of these others that are similar to what we experience here. I, I think we're probably the closest to what God intended for liberty and freedom, you understand. But in living in all these nations, and I love this nation. I'm proud to be from this nation. I am. And I, I'm proud to admit it anywhere I go. It doesn't bother me. Uh, but there's no nation that's perfect. There's only going to be one nation, and that's when Jesus rules. And even during the rule and reign of Jesus, there will be nations rebel against Him. Even under a theocracy. Think about that. There will be nations, read the Old Testament, nations that refuse to present themselves to Jerusalem yearly. Think about it. That's because people that, that will be living under the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ are people that we still have on the earth, and they're carrying over into that new dispensation the sin nature that's in their flesh. We'll have new bodies. Hallelujah. Thank God I can eat and not worry about putting on that extra pound, or two, or three, or four, or five. My wife will be happy. <laughs> Hallelujah. We'll have new bodies, glorified bodies, and we will rule and reign with Christ. You're being prepared right now for a government position. I'm serious. I'm not joking. This whole life is training and preparation for the life which is to come. That's what this life is for. You thought it was for enjoyment only. No, 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 no. This is a classroom. The whole life, your whole life is a classroom. Are you listening to me? You read what Jesus said about the talents. He wasn't just speaking into the air. You're going to rule and reign with Christ. There are positions in His government. There is responsibility and authority, and you are being trained for that. If you don't learn now, you'll learn later. Amen. I said, Amen. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 quickly. I've got to share this with you. Notice here what Paul said. You know, there's a lot of things that sometimes upset our theology, but that's okay. I've had my theology upset numerous times, many times. God's Word has a way of doing that. Hallelujah. It's given to us for reproof. Don't like that word. Correction. Oh, stay away from that word. Right? Instruction in righteousness. Isn't that right? 2 Timothy 3.16. Isn't that right? That the man and woman of God may be perfect or mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Woo! Hallelujah. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what God wants you to become thoroughly equipped. You know, 1 Timothy 4.8, and I'll get to that in a moment. But 1 Timothy 4.8 says, bodily exercise profits little. That's what's on my refrigerator. 
You know, when I married my wife, she's a physical education health major. That simply means when she disciplines you, she makes you run laps. So I had to learn to run to catch her. And after I caught her, Brother Mike, I stopped running. That's obvious. <laughs> so she likes to run. My idea of exercise was to fill the bathtub full of water, pull the plug, fight the current. That didn't work too well. So, you know, we're out eating or something. She likes to quote that scripture in Proverbs. I don't know where it is. I don't want to know where it is. <laughs> if you be a man given to appetite, put a knife to your throat. So she gives me this sign. So I found one here a while back, and it's a modern translation. I like it. I have to look it up. It says, the righteous man eats to his heart's content. <laughs> That's also on my refrigerator. <laughs> Hallelujah. Where was I? Huh? Thank you. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Are you ready for this? This is interesting. Notice here in verse 6, so we are always confident. Aren't you glad? Paul is a confident, positive man. That's because he had knowledge of God. We're confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. So we're here in this body, but our spirit's absent from the presence of God. Is that what he's saying? Yes. Verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So when we're absent as a spirit being from this body, we're present with the Lord. You know, we may have had loved ones who have passed away, and I, I understand there's, an, there's a physical and emotional attachment but if they've gone to their reward in heaven, they would not want to come back to this earth after experiencing what they experience in heaven. To be absent from this body. See, God never sees His children die. He only sees them coming home. They were created for His home. You were created for His home. You're in the family of God. Amen. And so when we're absent from this body, where are we? We're present. As Christians, we're present with the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, notice this scripture. Notice here verse uh, 9. Therefore, we make it our aim, that is our ambition, our goal, our desire, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. Think about it. Whether we're here or there, our goal will continue to be, to be well-pleasing to Him. That means there is growth. You can't please God without faith. Huh? You say, well, when I get to heaven, I won't need any. Well, that's not what my Bible says. You're going to continue to be well-pleasing to Him, and without faith, you can't be pleasing to Him. Right? That means there's going to be some spiritual growth and development it's going to take eternity for us to understand a little bit about our Father. Continue to understand how big He is and gracious He is, how good He is, how wonderful He is. Wow. I'm ready to be in the classroom in heaven. Have Jesus instruct me. Amen. Have Moses up there. Abraham. Hallelujah. I'm ready for that. All right. Just thought I would let you chew on that a little bit. 
So the most secure and dependable method is faith in kingdom principles. You know, we appreciate leaders, we appreciate people that God has placed in position in human government, and human government is for the protection of, of people and humanity. It's not God's best, you understand, but He allows that because without it there'd be chaos, anarchy, destruction, death, misery. And I've lived in countries like that. So thank God for forms of government that, that at least think about people and have programs that care about people. But our faith is not to be in a system, a world system, or in a person, but in God. God is a jealous God, my brother and sister. He will have no one else before Him. Isn't that right? No one. And we appreciate people. Don't misunderstand me. We respect and appreciate people that God uses. But no one replaces God and His Word. No one. Our faith is to be in God. Isn't that right? So if we move from one nation to an, another nation, and there's a system there that's terrible, we still have faith in God. And God can still reach down to us and bless us and protect us. Right? Amen. Hallelujah. Think on these things. Amen? Y'all out there? All right. Praise the Lord. Now, I want to go a little bit further. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to move quickly. Can you listen quickly? All right. Matthew chapter 7. We looked at Luke chapter 6 last night. Matthew chapter 7 is the story of the two foundations. Uh, this is from Matthew's perspective. I want to read this quickly. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, sayings are words, God's words, whoever hears God's words and does them, that means you're a doer of the word. Faith is simply acting on the Word of God. That's what it means. You're a doer of the Word. He said, I will liken you to a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house. It did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be likened to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So we see here... Jesus is using this natural illustration to teach a spiritual principle. That is this, the foundation that He's talking about, He reveals. Many people said, well, you know, Jesus is the rock. You know, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, my life is built on Jesus. Well, that's wonderful. But in the context, the rock is what Jesus defined. It is the person who hears His Word and does His Word. That's the rock who hears His Word and practices His Word. He is like a man or a woman who builds their house on the rock. Notice, two individuals heard the same Word. Right? Same Word. Attended the same faith conference. Bought the same books. Experienced the same tests and trials, but a totally different outcome. What's the difference? The foundation. That's the only difference. Now, I said this last night. I'll say it again. Notice the storm did not make the foundation strong. The foundation was strong before the storm came. Isn't that right? Tests and trials do not make 
doesn't make your faith strong. It's overcoming them. A set of weights do not make your muscles strong. It's picking them up. Right? And the weight is resisting against your muscle. That's what makes your muscle. Actually, your muscle, you know, it, it actually breaks down a little bit. And then it restores. It builds itself back up. And that's what builds your muscle. Now, if you do too much, you can destroy your muscle to the point that it takes a long time to heal and recover. We don't do that. But just enough resistance, right, builds that muscle up. I read a story here today. I thought it was quite interesting. And uh, it's a story. Neil Beidelman survived the ill-fated 1996 expedition in which eight climbers died on Mount Everest in 1996. Some of these climbers paid $65,000 just for a chance to scale the peak. $65,000. I could think of a lot of other ways to spend $65,000 than to climb a mountain. But maybe that's your thing. So he said, in assessing what went wrong, Beidelman said, tragedies, now listen, and disasters are not the result of a single decision. A single event or a single mistake. They are the culmination of things in your life. Something happens and it becomes a catalyst for all the things that you've had at risk. On Everest, that something was a raging blizzard. According to the journalist Todd Burgess, if not for the storm, the climbers may have gotten away with taking so many risks, but the storm exposed their weaknesses. So the storms of life do not come from God. As a matter of fact, Jesus quieted the storm, right? He was in the middle of the lake, about halfway through that lake, and the storm came. If the storm came from God, then Jesus would be rebuking His Father. Right? Didn't come from God. No, Jesus quiets the storm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He leads you beside peaceful water, not stormy water. Amen. You say, well, you know, maybe that's how God wants you to learn. Well, I can think of other ways. A lot of other ways, right? I'm a strong believer in preventive maintenance. That means learning from other people and putting principles in place that prevent things from happening. Right? How many of you believe in changing your oil in your vehicle? That's preventive maintenance. You, you wouldn't say, hey, thank you, brother. <clears throat> yeah, I came out the other night to pastor's house. And usually, I, you know, I'm aware of my gauges and my low fuel light came on. In a blizzard. Thank you, Jesus. So I'm driving out to pastor's house, and I have, you know, I look down, it tells you how many miles you have left, right? So I think we had about 30, Marvin, is that right? 30. And we're not yet to pastor's house. And I'm thinking, well, I can probably make it. Probably, that's what a guy will do. Ah, oh, I can make it. Right? Who needs gas? I can make it. So uh, your pastor was so benevolent and wonderful and gracious that he gave me some of his fuel. Hallelujah. And so we made it. Praise the Lord. So, yes. Amen. No worry. I'd plead confident and trust. <laughs> 
So James chapter 1, quickly. James chapter 1, look, let's look at this quickly. We're talking about faith, developing a robust faith life that takes us through any challenge in this life. I believe that. I said, I believe that. Now, not only do I believe that from reading the Bible, but I believe that from experience. This year is my 42nd year of full-time ministry. And uh, we've experienced a lot of things in a lot of different nations of the world. And a lot of things, a lot of attacks, not only from unsaved people, but from saved people. From without and from within. A lot of different things. Nothing close to Paul. But we experienced a lot of things. And I know from experience that God's Word works in every one of those situations He's brought us through. Hallelujah. Every single time. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, the Bible said, but the Lord delivers them out of half. All of them, right? All of them. That is, if your faith is in God and His Word and His Spirit, He'll give you direction in life. All right, James chapter 1, quickly notice here. And we're going to move quickly. James chapter 1. James says, <clears throat> let me turn here. James says, my brethren, verse 2, my brethren, count it all what? Joy. Everybody say it. Joy. Say it like you mean it. Joy. Oh, come on. Joy. Count it all what? Joy. Yes, joy. Woo. Joy. Until we read the rest. Count it all joy when you fall into winning the lottery. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When you fall into what? Various, that means different kinds, of trials. That's temptations and tests. Hallelujah. Why do you have to put that in there? Count it all joy. Well, it's not joy. So you have to consider it or count it all joy. Well, why in the world would I consider it joy when tests and trials come? You have to keep reading. He said, knowing this, verse 2, 3, the testing of your what? The testing of your faith produces what? That word is endurance. And let endurance have its perfect work or come to its end so that you may be perfect, may be perfect, lacking, complete, and lacking nothing. Now notice he said the testing of your faith. It is not God who sends the storms or the problems to test your faith. The storms come and it reveals where your faith is. The foundation can be strong. Hallelujah. Before the storm comes, and if there is any issue, it just simply shows us where we are deficient in our foundation. And God will help us shore up that foundation and make it strong. Make it strong. Hallelujah. So notice, I want you to see that we count it all joy. We consider it all joy. Now why? Because our spiritual and natural attitude during the time of difficulty will determine how effective our faith will be in helping us endure and receive what we need. I'm going to say that again. Our spiritual and natural attitude 
during the time of difficulty will determine how effective our faith will be in helping us endure and receive what we need. A negative or fearful attitude does not encourage the kind of faith that overcomes the world. We can see that principle revealed through the life and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was constantly correcting fear in His disciples and negativity. He tried to go through one community. They didn't want Jesus to come. So James and John, the sons of thunder, <laughs> let's call fire down. Come on. Let's destroy them. Wipe them out. Let's call fire down. Jesus said, guys, you don't know what spirit's motivating you. So when we pray for people, how do we pray? We better know which spirit's motivating us. God's not into destroying people. He's into saving people. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. I came that the world might be saved through me. Huh? Isn't that right? You know, many times when we pray, we pray and we are directed in prayer by our emotions. Which is selfish. We pray for people or things so that it affects us in a positive way. But you know, Timothy said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, I would that men or women pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Oh, then he said, without wrath and doubting. So all of our prayers should not be directed by wrath and doubting, which if you look those words up, it's talking about emotion, anger, an emotional response in prayer that comes from natural information. No, our prayers are to be directed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 6, 18. Praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, one translation says, being led by the Spirit. So our prayers are to be directed by the Holy Spirit, not by our human nature, our human flesh, our human desires, our anger, our attitude toward people. Regardless of who the leader is, well, I'll pray for him because I like him, and I won't pray for that one because I don't like him. That's why our prayers aren't working. God loves everyone. He loves the people you despise. He died for the people that you can't stand. Come on now, let's get real. Right? You mention their name. Oh, that's your human nature. God loves them. The people that you even see on the news that you can't stand, God loves them. He died for them, and He wants them in His family. Come on now. If we don't have that attitude, we have the wrong attitude, and that's why faith doesn't work and prayer doesn't work. God doesn't answer selfish prayers. Come on. He doesn't answer selfish prayers. Love is not self-seeking. Are you out there? Well, that went over great. Let's go on. So when you read the writings of Paul, it's easy to become impressed by Paul's attitude. It's positive. By his appeal to do everything without, and this is a tough one for me, murmurings and disputings. Philippians 2.14, do everything without murmuring. 
uh, I'm working on that one. Do we do that? Oh. See, that's kind of our gauge of spirituality. All things without murmuring and disputing, because that's the human nature. And that nature, that human nature that's still in our flesh, not in our spirit, in our flesh, is a part of the sin nature. Amen. Well, that went over well, too. I'm just really making it great tonight, hitting on all points, all cylinders. Amen. I like David Guzik's commentary. He says, this was an appeal, hear what James is talking about, to adjust our attitudes toward God and to one another. Faith never works well when we blame God. Listen. <laughs> or when we argue with God. Faith works best when we agree with God. And the reason for that is God's wisdom is always right and will always produce an outcome that brings God's blessing into our lives. Now I'm going to skip over some things here and quickly go down because I don't think this one will go over either. So let me go down to this one. <clears throat> we'll just skip all this. Faith grows through resistance. Oh man, thank you. It grows through resistance. Now, we feed our faith on the Word of God, and the capacity for faith is there, but it's not going to grow and develop without exercise. Right? So we hear about love. Oh, the capacity for us to walk in love is there, but then the opportunity comes. Oh. And it's when we act on that opportunity that our faith grows stronger in that area. Right? So love is not selfish. Love is kind. Love is not self-seeking. It's not jealous. It's not envious. It believes the best of every person. Well, most. There's a few out there. No. Every person, right? Every person. Every person. Every person, every person, he believes the best because that's what God does. So we'll get opportunities at the job where we work with friends, with relatives, oh hallelujah, family, to walk in love, to believe the best, to not say certain things. And when we yield to that, our faith muscle in that area develops more. And the next time it becomes easier and easier and easier. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, man, those kind of people, they, you know, my family doesn't bother me anymore. Right? That's the practicality of faith. That's the practicality of developing your faith muscle. Hallelujah. So we want to weaken the flesh muscle and strengthen the faith muscle. That comes through resistance. Now, in his book, Christ the Healer, F.F. F. Bosworth said this, and listen closely. The act of faith, the act of faith is not only a physical act. It includes the exercise of the heart and mind toward God. The full exercise of faith means we think faith, 
Speak faith, act faith. This brings the manifestation of all that faith takes according to the promise of the Word. We think faith, we speak faith, we act faith. That's the full manifestation of faith. So it involves not just some physical action, but it involves the thinking processes, it involves our confession, it involves our action or allowing the life and the nature of God to express itself in everyday life. It's like the story of, you know, the Christian and the communist walking down the road. They came past, passed by a beggar. And the communist said, communism will put a new suit on that man. And the Christian said, Christianity will put a new man in that suit. That's the difference. That's the difference. It is what God's doing inside and then working its way out of you. So it becomes visible. Put on the new man, Paul said. Put it on. That means it's not automatic. You have to do something. Put it on the outside. Take what's on the inside. Put it on the outside. All right, now, turn with me to, and, and we'll close with this. Uh, let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. I'm going to close with this. You know, spiritual health is just as recognizable as physical health. <laughs> you know, when someone's not feeling well and, you know, maybe they're, a little under the weather, we call it. And, you know, you work with them or you see them, you can tell, right? You can see they're just not 100%. They're just not functioning on all eight cylinders, right? You can see that. Well, the same is true with spiritual health. I read a story about uh, Donald G., who was a great English preacher and teacher. First uh, was an instructor in the first... Uh, the oldest Pentecostal Bible school in the world in Great Britain. <clears throat> and uh, he had a missionary friend come back from the mission field. He met him at the train station. Picked him up and in the, you know, in the course of the conversation, this missionary said, uh, something's not right with you. And uh, Donald G. said, what do you mean? I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. Oh, no. He said, there's something I can tell. Something's not right with you in your spirit. Well, in the course of the conversation, he found out that uh, where Donald G. was pastoring, there, you know, another church moved in to the community. And, of course, uh, you know, they were growing quite rapidly. And, uh, and that was affecting this pastor a little bit. And so there was just a little bit of a spiritual condition that was evident, Right? Not necessarily living in sin, not doing anything wrong, but just there was a spiritual condition where he wasn't walking in the light of what he knew. So your spiritual health is recognizable. Now here, Paul gives us the recipe, and we're talking about faith, building a strong faith life. This all goes together. How to maintain our spiritual fervency or our spiritual health which in many ways affects our faith. You know, I've discovered many times that people, there are people, wonderful people, who have difficulties 
And it's not because they don't understand faith or lack faith, it's because their spiritual health is at a low level, and that's affecting their faith. You know what Jude said, Jude 20, only one chapter, Jude 20, But ye, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Well, Jude didn't say praying in the Holy Ghost or other tongues would give you faith. He just said it would strengthen the faith you have. Build it up. So we may know what faith is, have faith, but we've uh, allowed our spiritual fervency or our spiritual life to become a little depleted. And the tests and trials of life will do that to us. It'll do that. You have to rub shoulders every day with people that, you know, are not saying praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I worked on the railroad for a while. I understand some of that. I worked in construction for a while. I understand that. I had some guys on the railroad that encouraged my faith every day. <laughs> I worked on a section crew. So the guys I worked with, we worked out there. We were out. Now they don't have that equipment as much. We did it by hand back then. <laughs> so these guys were not, you know, the most flowery people. So I understand rubbing shoulders with people. I mean, just, you know, dealing with, you know, life. Dealing with the IRS. Hallelujah. Dealing with everything that we have to deal with, right? Is a, it takes a toll on us physically, mentally, and can affect our spirit if we're not careful. But we want to maintain a robust, healthy, strong spiritual life. Amen? And that will affect our faith. So here in Ephesians 5.18, what does it say? Ephesians 5.18 says what? Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or excess, the King James says, but be filled with what? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul is writing because in Acts, to born-again Spirit-filled believers because in Acts chapter 19, he came across these disciples. And he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we've never so much as heard whether there is a Holy Ghost. He said, what baptism were you baptized? They said, John's. He preached Christ to them. They got saved and then baptized in the name of Jesus. And then he laid hands on them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with tongues and prophesied. So he's writing to this church. They're born again, spirit filled and moving the gifts. And he said, I want you to be filled, or the word tense here is a continual action. I want you to be continually full, filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So the Bible teaches us how we can maintain this spiritual life in fervency. Let's go on reading the next verse, verse 19. Speaking, now I know in the modern translations it talks about to one another. In some versions of King James, and there is, a, there is a verb tense here which could mean to one another or to yourself. Either way. So either way works. Speaking to yourself, and I'm, I want to emphasize the yourself part tonight. Speaking to yourself in what? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing. He's not talking about a church service. They didn't have uh, projection systems, right? Or hill songs 
or any other kind of song when they wrote this. Right? Isn't that right? They had no hymnals. So he's talking about psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody where? In your head? No, out of your spirit to the Lord. Hallelujah. Speaking to yourself. Let's, let songs come out. Psalms is like a poem. We have 150 of them in the Old Testament. Sometimes they rhyme, sometimes they don't. It's a spirit-directed utterance. In other words, it comes out of your spirit, not your head. And you can speak in your own language by the Holy Spirit in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were in jail. They were obeying God. They had a supernatural visitation. They came to that city. You'd think they'd be in the Holiday Inn or, you know, some four-star hotel. No, they got in jail after preaching the gospel. You know, if Paul and Silas would have been like most Christians, you know, Silas would have turned to Paul. Their backs were bleeding. They were in the stocks. said, Paul, I don't think that was a vision from God. I think you ate too much pizza. If God was in this, we'd have revival already. The whole city would, have be, would be one for God. Right? And then Paul would have turned to Silas and said, Well, you know, Silas, you're right. I just can't understand it. I give my life to God. I've served God all these years. I can't understand why God did this to me. A lot of Christians like that. And if Paul and Silas would have had that kind of conversation, they'd still be in jail. But here's the key. They were in jail, but they didn't let the jail get in them. They lifted their voice, hallelujah, in prayer, and they began to praise God and sing. And then something happened. Supernatural earthquake. God's earthquake never destroys anything. Isn't that right? And as a result, the jailer's house got saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when you find yourself in a difficult situation, and midnight is the, is the darkest natural time of the day, the darkest time of the day, you have the strength on the inside of you. You have the Word of God, the Spirit of God on this inside. All you've got to do is stir it up. Hallelujah. Stir it up. And that power is generated. And that power will take you out of your situation, deliver you from your situation, and change the situation. And our faith is in God's Word and in God's power, His ability. I'm going to end with this story because I like it. It's funny, and I like it. How many of you have ever heard of John Osteen? Joel is his son, of course, pastors Lakewood Church. John Osteen was his father. And John tells this story. You know, in Exodus chapter 15, we'll not turn there, but in Exodus chapter 15, God delivered Israel from Egypt. He took them through the Red Sea on dry land. And then when the enemy came, they were destroyed by the water. So they're out on the other side, and Miriam and all the ladies took tambourines, and they began to sing and dance that old charismatic tune, for the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Remember that one? They begin to sing, oh, our God has done victoriously. 
For the horse and the rider are thrown into the singing sea, and they were singing and praising God. Oh, our God is mighty. Three days later, they came to Mara, bitter water, and they began to murmur and complain. Three days, miracle signs and wonders, and three days later, they forgot what God did. They lost their song. They didn't maintain, as we do under the new covenant, that spirit-filled life. So John tells this story. You remember, years, some of you know, canister vacuum cleaners. You know what a canister vacuum cleaner is? Some, uh, most of you, you know, my age and older know. It's, a, it's the old vacuum cleaner that was around like a round tube, and, and the hose comes out one end. Inside, there's a, a bag, and so the exhaust or the the pump, the vacuum, the motor sucks the dirt in, goes through the bag, comes out on the other end and exhaust. Well, there was this lady had a parakeet. And uh, this parakeet was, a, you know, sang beautifully every day. I mean, just she loved this parakeet. So she was cleaning the cage one day with that vacuum cleaner. She got a little too close to the parakeet and <laughs> the parakeet got sucked in. Oh, she panicked. She opened that vacuum cleaner, you know, got the bag out, turned it upside down, shook it out, shook it out, and all the dirt came out with a parakeet, and the parakeet looked terrible, ruffled up feathers, everything, you know. She dusted that thing off, put it back on the perch, never sang again. So John Osteen said, when the devil tries to suck you up in the vacuum cleaner of life, don't lose your song. Hallelujah. No, you stir up the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. You remember what God's Word says. Hallelujah. And you begin to speak to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, reminding yourself of what God's Word says. God's Word's true. Hallelujah. And begin to praise Him. Let's stand up. Praise Him and worship Him and magnify Him because He's worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. And we're going to do that right now. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what problem you've had today, last week, last month, last year. But I'm telling you what. God's power is more than sufficient. Hallelujah. To take you through, to deliver you, to turn that situation around. So we're going to magnify Him. Amen. Let's lift our hands up and our voices now. Lord, we magnify You. Hallelujah. <laughs> we magnify. Oh, Lord, we praise You. We thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your mercy. Oh, Lord, it doesn't matter what's happened yesterday, last week, last month, last year. Father, You are a good God. And you have a good plan and a great plan for every person and every believer. And Father, we focus on you tonight. Hallelujah. We worship you. We praise you. We magnify. And we glorify you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we magnify you. You are great. You are great. You are great. You are worthy, worthy, worthy to be praised. And we magnify you. We glorify you. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, say this with me. This year, 2021, is going to be the best year that I've ever had. This year, is going to be God's year. God is going to move in my life. 
His glory will be manifested. His power will be revealed. And I will experience the blessings of God in a greater way than ever before. Hallelujah. 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 You know, last year, I'm, I'm going to say this pastor's coming. I was in Thailand and uh, speaking at the church that we established 20 years ago. <clears throat> and I was preaching on Sunday morning and up out of my spirit, just came out of my spirit, 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. I said to them, this was at the beginning, January 2020. I said, I don't know what that, I don't, it just came out of me. And I believe this is the Holy Ghost for your church. This is going to be a year of no lack. And you know what? <laughs> All kinds of things happen, but you know what? That church has had no lack. Not because I said it, but the Spirit of God said it. And they believed it. They acted on it. And God carried them through. But this year, hallelujah, is going to be a year of glory. A year of glory. Hallelujah. A year of glory in your life. Greater glory. Greater manifestations of His presence. Greater manifestations of His joy. Greater manifestations of His blessing. Hallelujah. Greater manifestations of everything that God has provided for you through Christ. His glory. His glory shall be made manifest. His glory shall be revealed. His glory shall carry you through. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what the Lord's saying. Amen.